Why, hello, it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to speak with Duquette Johnston over Zoom video. Duquette was born in Nashville, raised between Alabama and Wyoming, and he talks about how he got into music. First instrument he learned was the violin. Uh, shortly after that, picked up the guitar, but later was a bass player, played bass for a number of years, started out in, in a few different bands, ended up being one of the original members of Verbena. We talk about that time when he was in the band, them getting signed to Capitol Records, the success of that band at a very early age. We talk about how he ended up leaving that band to pursue a solo career. He ended up running into some trouble, some drug trouble, ended up serving some time. And that's where his first record, first solo record came out of was writing it in the Etowah County Jail while he was facing five to 10 years for a drug charge. He tells us about putting that record out once he got out. The two EPs that followed that album, his next record, Rabbit Runs of Destiny in 2013, and then his wife being pregnant, having their child, she ends up getting really sick. And during that period, he did a bunch of writing Recorded this new record in 2016, 2017, but had to hold on to it until 2022. So this album has been done and worked on for nearly 10 years, sat on for five years, but it is such an incredible record. It's called The Social Animal, and we talk all about that as well. You can watch our interview with Duquette on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be awesome if you subscribe to our channel like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be awesome if you follow us there as well. And if you have time, leave us a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Duquette Johnston. I'm, my name is Adam, by the way. Hey, Adam. I'm Duquette. Duquette, and uh, this podcast is about you and your journey in music and how you got to where you are now. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> we have a little bit of time. We got a little bit of time. What are you burning there? Some sage? Palo Santo. Oh, what does that do? I, I'm very bad with this stuff. No, no, no. Palo Santo is a Hollywood um, f- from South America. There's a couple of different kinds of Palo Santo trees. I won't try to, I won't even attempt to say the scientific name because I will not do it honor and justice. So um, it's really endangered. One version, one type of it is really endangered in Africa. All of mine comes from a family in Ecuador where it's okay. pretty regular, but it's a Hollywood, same, same families, frankincense, myrrh. Okay. Yeah, it's burned in spiritual ceremonies. It's burned in Orthodox churches. It's, you know, all over oh. the place. Interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. I'm, I'm sitting in my like home studio office space. It's kind of oh wow. If I just had, there's a lot of crazy art. Sorry, the smoke is going everywhere. No, uh, it's cool. There's gear. Cool effect. Gear everywhere. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's that's really cool. So, uh, whereabouts are you? I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham, Alabama. Right on. Uh, I'm in Nashville, so not too far oh, from you. Just right up the road. <laughs> exactly. I was actually born in Nashville, Tennessee. 
You were. That was yep. that was my next question. Where were you born? So born in Nashville. Were you raised there? No, lived there briefly as a child and then moved to Wyoming um, until the age of seven up in the Bighorn Mountains. Okay. And then we spend my school in Birmingham. When my parents divorced, my mother moved us back to Alabama and I would go to school here and then go to Wyoming every summer. So it's a lot of confusion as a kid. <laughs> right. Wow. Um, like in, in the... Like going back and forth, like was, is Birmingham, like where you're in Birmingham or where you grew up, was it more of like a city suburbs and versus, uh, yeah. versus okay. Wyoming, which like when I was little, we lived on 2000 acres that butted up against the Bighorn national forest. Wow. So super remote, didn't see a lot of people lived in tents for a while, was bathed in creeks, you know, had my mother driving me an hour to violin lessons because she wanted to keep us cultured, even though we were ragamuffins out in the woods. Um, and yeah, so it was, it was very different than coming back to Birmingham for a while. We were in the suburbs and then my mother moved closer to the city. And then obviously I still spent a ton of time in Nashville with my grandparents. And I mean, my, all my aunts and uncles are still there. My brother's still there. My daughter just moved there. Oh, wow. I need to drive up there and pick up an eight track I bought from Andrew Combs. It's just been sitting in his house since the pandemic and going. Oh, on. wow. Okay. <laughs> Whereabouts in Nashville were you born? Like, I mean, were you, did you grow up in Nashville or on the outskirts? Cause I'm not in, in Nashville, like Davidson County. I'm South, but I was just curious. Yeah. So we, my family has been in that area. I think going back to the 1700s. Um, wow. Yeah. It's really crazy. Um, I mean, Nolansville, Tennessee was founded mm -hmm. by relatives. Really? Um, yeah. That was my grandmother's was her name was Mary Alice Nolan. And her father, her, her great grandfather and his brothers. I mean, the history is so insane. I can't keep up with all of it. But I know that... there's a farm. There's a farm outside of Franklin that was in my family for 154 years. From Really? Yeah. It's called Tap, you... Taproot Farm. Taproot Farm. Now they do like weddings and stuff there, but my relatives are literally buried behind this house where they have weddings. Because I want, Whoa. I wanted to shoot a, I wanted to shoot a music video there. When I did my last record, I had a song called Storms, and I wanted to record a live version of it in the cemetery with this string quartet, uh, all these players from Nashville that I use. We never got to do it, um, but maybe one day. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. I just Googled it because I'm that's whereabouts I am around around Franklin. So I was curious to see like how close that's where was. we lived when I was a little kid was Franklin. I think I was born at Thomas or Baptist or I, I, I'd have to look at my birth certificate. Um, wow. And then, yeah, my my relatives have been in Franklin for a, a, a very, very, very long time. Yeah. And then, but to be to, you know, to be one of the people that I mean, founded Nolensville that's not very far away from there either. I mean, that's no, crazy. It, there's a lot, you know, it's this with that comes the good and bad of your family history. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> like, and, and, but it's, it's still really cool. It's cool to be able to actually learn and know. And, you know, I, I'm lucky that I have relatives like my aunt an aunt of mine and my brother who have done tons of research and have books on our family history and have shared information because you know it, it's cool to know yeah and they save a lot of i mean not save but they they protect it here in 
in Tennessee, which I was surprised. I, th- I think, it, yeah, like I think there's certain areas of the country, but it seems to be especially a super Southern thing. Mm-hmm. Although I know like, you know, friends um, from New York that families were immigrants and came in and never left the city, but man, they have everything saved. They've like, they can tell you their family lineage going way, wow. way back. Mm-hmm. But this, but it seems to really be a deep Southern thing. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I, my wife has just started digging into some of her family history and we've discovered like that they were, we knew they were in the garment industry for several generations. And then we found out they actually go back seven generations to early Ukraine, um, which has made all the shit going on right now, even more oh, like, bizarre for sure. uh, everything. Um, but yeah, man, that's, that's <laughs> so interesting. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I, you talked about going to violin lessons as a kid uh-huh. in Wyoming. What was that the first instrument you learned how to play? That was the very first instrument I attempted to play. I'm not sure if I ever properly learned, learned it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know, like I'm sure my dad would maybe say, I don't know, my ears said okay. didn't learn it, but um, yeah, it was first violin and then piano, but I was such a rowdy kid. I was constantly breaking bones. Oh, um, okay. So like I would be do- in the middle of piano lessons and then, I would break my arm on a skateboard or on a dirt bike or, you know, like broke my wrist playing soccer. Like it's, it's obnoxious how many bones I've broken in my body. Um, Okay. So So, yeah. So you would, uh, it sounds like you would be taking part in these lessons and then you'd hurt yourself. So then it would set you back a bit. (laughs) Wait, exactly. Like I would literally start. And then a few weeks later, be like, I got a cast and I practice with one hand. So eventually I bailed on the piano I started to take classical guitar lessons, um, like ju- early junior high, then broke my arm again. Oh my gosh. Failed out of that. And the teacher was really mean. Like it was, it was intense and he was very serious about his practice and it was absolutely no fun for me. And I don't understand that. Like I've, I've heard the story a handful of times where it's like the teacher is basically the reason why you quit playing like wouldn't you think that they would want to kind of embrace that yeah they'd be like okay well i really want you to learn so what do you want to hear what do you want to learn how to play not if you don't learn this you're out (laughs) that's kind of how like time i gotta mute my phone here um that's kind of how this was it was shocking that my piano teachers were all amazing like they were fun and um you know, from what I remember of it, but this one guitar teacher. And then, so I never took another lesson again after that. Mm-hmm. My brother got his uh, first acoustic guitar and we would sit there at the, our cassette deck or the turntable and teach ourselves songs just from listening. So wow. like we learned, we both learned and he had a, fr- he had a couple of friends that were like insanely naturally gifted musicians that could play piano could sit down hear a song and then go play it right mm-hmm. like they instantly transpose things but he but he and i like the first thing i learned to play on the guitar with him was the intro to is there anybody out there by pink floyd off the wall yeah. out. okay and so there was this guitar finger picking part mm-hmm. and i i really should relearn it i haven't played that since i was a teenager but um that was one of my first things i learned on guitar with my brother wow and what now he's a doctor. Start. Now, 
the doctor at Vanderbilt in Nashville. <laughs> Is he really? And still plays guitar. <laughs> yeah, he's got a collection of guitars and. Wow, what the, I'm just curious now. What kind of doctor is he? He's the he's like one of the heads of the ER at Vanderbilt. Really? Now I get to name oh. drop you if I ever need to. <laughs> 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 I, look, total total side story, real quick. Like, we yeah, were, no. we, we were in Nashville when our son was little, and he got really sick. He was like three months old, okay. and the pediatrician in Birmingham was like, "You need to get, take him to Vanderbilt Children's." And we happened mm-hmm. to be in an Airbnb right down the street. I was like, "Oh, I know where it is." We go, I honestly did not know what my brother did other than being a doctor. Uh-huh. And the resident was asking us all these questions. And I was, he was like, how did you know to come here? And I was like, well, the, you know, our pediatrician said to, but my brother's a doctor here. And when I told them my brother's name, the, the resident got real nervous and was like, that's, that's my boss. And oh, like, wow. <laughs> yeah. um, but then people were kind of acting weird. And it turned out a bunch of the staff were fans of my music. So after the respiratory therapist like cleared my son's bron- bronchial pathways and stuff uh-huh. and answered all these questions, he, he sat down and looked real serious and was like, okay. He was like, now let's talk about your, your last record. He was like, let's <laughs> have questions. And I was like, what are you talking about, dude? So that's yeah. pretty cool to be, especially, I mean, not cool that you were there or anything that goes right. down with that, but the <laughs> fact that they knew who you were and were like, Oh my gosh, like, let's, let's chat about your album. Like, that, In the that's middle cool. of the emergency room. It was kind of funny. <laughs> wow. 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 Okay. So, well then from, you know, the guitar lessons, learning that Pink Floyd song, when did you start um, like writing music or when did you start playing with other people as far as like a band went and like, how old were you? And that all started. The I, I started trying to write songs in high school and they were really terrible. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, some people like have the gift when they're really young or I, I don't know. Like I, I was into a lot in high school. I mean, music has been part of my life, like digesting, listening and being inspired. Like it, I, it's not this way with everyone, but I can literally tell you my life history based off of like music periods you know and specific mm-hmm. i tie memories to music um good and bad uh like a song will come on and i will literally be transported back to that time of that moment but in high school i started trying to write uh and we, you know we need to start learning covers and you know we i was at the time in high school learning like neil young and grateful dead and then when i i, I went to boarding school and I was there with a guy from Seattle and he had all the early sub pop stuff. So like in the late eighties, we were trying to learn mud honey songs and early Nirvana and yeah. all sorts of stuff. Um, and then I did my first like performance in high school with a group of guys where we wrote one song and then we covered a, a few people like the dead camper van Beethoven. Uh, I can't remember what else. And I graduated high school and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I either wanted to go live in the woods and teach people how to canoe and rock climb and all this stuff. Cause that's what I was heavily into or I wanted to, to make music. And I came, so I came back to Birmingham, started college, ran into my old skateboard buddy who is, who goes by a Bondi now. Um, and we started our first band when we were 18. Wow. I dropped out of school nine weeks later and we started recording and booking shows and playing. Like we just went hard right out of the gate. Um, I, you know, there's times I could always, 
reflect back and say, oh, I should have stayed in school and taken business classes. Because if you want music to be your life, you are running a business. Sure. It's hard for artists to grasp the concept of being creative and running a business and being okay, like telling yourself it is good to be paid and it is okay to be paid. Like there's this stigma among like a lot of creative communities where it's like, no, you got to be in the trenches and grinding it out and being broke. It's like, man, don't be a martyr for your music. Like understand business, understand what it takes to run releasing records, doing publishing. If you end up trying to sign a record deal, understanding those contracts. But yeah, I started like writing my first like legit, legit songs, like 18 years old, started playing shows. We had, we were a band called Volume. And it was me and A.A. Bondi and a, and a couple other people. And then we became Shallow. And it's still me and Bondi and this girl, Anne-Marie. And then we, our, our guitar player in volumes got less newbie, uh, ended up becoming the drummer as we transitioned into Verbena. He came back on board. And, um, and yeah, Verbena ended up doing, you know, you guys got signed to a major label and put a bunch of records we did a out. Lot. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know um, if you want to if you want to chat about that at all. Um, well, I mean, it's part of the journey, you know what I mean? Like, I think for a long time, I never wanted to discuss Verbena stuff because it, it's 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 weird when you're that young and people throw millions of dollars at you, and then you leave a band because of personal reasons, people doing drugs. I had had a kid, you know. It, it gets weird where you want to don't want to talk about it, but as I've gotten older, it's part of my life. It's part of my story. So I. I I don't want to ignore that. Um, and so much of what I learned came through that time period. You know, we, our work ethic was insane. I mean, we rehearsed every day, like every night I was working as a chef, would go in at five in the morning, get off at five, go to rehearsal, rehearse till midnight, sleep for a few hours, do it again. We did that seven days a week. Wow. Um, and yeah, I mean, we were fortunate enough that we had good people around us early on to where we didn't take the very first deals that were thrown at us. We didn't take the first publishing deals that were thrown at us because it's real sweet candy. Right. Like, That's when, incredible that you had that like willpower not to instead of being like, oh, my gosh, they want to give money to us and sign us to a record label. This is the dream. Sign it away. Straight up. I mean, in some <laughs> early 20s and someone's like, I'm going to give you forty thousand dollars and own most of your publishing you they don't sit and fly like that <laughs> right like, right you don't course. realize that forty thousand dollars is going to be gone really fast and you're not going to make a penny until all that is recouped right mm -hmm. and then they're getting a cut of it for the rest of your life so these are the things that you don't learn unless you go study it or you have the right people around you t teaching you and educating you you either got to be self-motivated to learn it or you got to have the right people around you guiding you and educating you and we had a manager early on who was not even a music manager. He ran a paper, but he loved our band. Okay. And he was a music fanatic and he had studied like managers that discovered bands and throughout, you know, rock and roll history. And yeah, when those first pub deals came through and we happened to randomly connect with a great entertainment lawyer um, named Steve Nirenberg. And Steve was like, no, don't sign that man. <laughs> That's the worst idea ever. Oh, wow. Was that, but I mean, to have that, you know, like, like you said, that somebody's going to come to you with 40 grand and be like, we're going to give you $40,000 and you're going to blah, blah, blah. Um, did you ever, 
I would imagine that you could kind of get to the point where you're like, are we making a mistake by not signing this? Are sure. like, is this our only shot to do this? Like, how did you guys fight through that? Or how did you get it through that? We knew that we did, that we knew that the songs were worth more. We knew that we were just getting started. We knew that like we were building something and we had total confidence in it, man. We mm-hmm. were at times super arrogant, but like we were very confident uh, in our our youth sometimes not through being naive other times just like man we felt something really special and so yeah that's where my music journey really started was was at 18 i mean it started when i was a kid but like the writing songs and playing live and performing started um you know when i was was 18 and it was with mostly the same group of people until i was 28 or so i can't remember how old i was man i don't know um i'd have to sit here and do the math right but but, um i mean i was i was 10 years so like yeah 18 to 28 um something like that and then or maybe a little less i was with verbena and then i left uh right before the first record for capital records we had signed to capital we had been on merge records and then we signed Mm -hmm. to capital records and we were on this label out of the UK called Satanta that did a bunch of really cool British stuff. Um, Edwin Collins that was in um, Orange Juice and has produced some incredible hit songs. Um, and then after that, yeah, I went solo. I had a band called Cut Grass that I'd started during Verbena. And then I was like kind of a bass player for hire while working and writing all these Cut Grass songs. I'd had a kid. Mm-hmm. I'd go get a job. I'd not had a job job. I mean, had not worked for anybody in years. Um, and I took a job fixing copy machines and fax machines because <laughs> I got to ride around by myself all day in a car and I would write songs in my car. <laughs> wow. Smoke, yeah. way too, smoke way too much pot and just fix <laughs> fax machines. I accidentally set one on fire one time. <laughs> Did you really? Yep. In an oh. office did not oh. yeah it was bad i was like uh do you have a fire extinguisher <laughs> or a big bucket of water <laughs> so oh wow you know every, everything has sort of always led me to the next thing and i've tried to just looking back i didn't even realize it, but i was just rolling with what and being like really open to where i was pulled and trusting my intuition that that was the right place Mm-hmm. I didn't always make the right decision, but everything has led me to the next thing. You know, I did stuff with cut grass. I made three records that n- never got released because the further along it got, I got, I had went started to get into a really little, what I call the lost years of my life. Like mm-hmm. I, I was a bass player for hire for everything from like, I did a tour with this band, brother Kane. My buddy oh, I know Damon, that band. Yeah. My buddy Damon Johnson brought me on board really last minute. That's probably the most punk rock Brother Kane has ever sounded. Like, <laughs> I had like two days to learn 17 songs and I just played root notes. I was just punking it out for him. Right, right. Um, wow. And then I played bass for the Blake Babies when they reunited. My buddy John Strum, that is now the president of Rounder Records. Wow. Um, and phenomenal, great songwriter, phenomenal guitarist. We had collaborated on a lot of stuff in my band Cut Grass and then I joined up with the Blake babies and yeah, then I got in trouble and got arrested and 
you know, got locked up in Etowah County Detention Center facing a, a 10 year drug sentence and oh wow en- ended up getting because I was in the drug court system, which is a whole different beast of a conversation about the flaws within that, all that. But of course, um, I, that's why I wrote my first full solo record was when I was a state inmate at the County detention center. The first songs I literally wrote in my jail cell in letters to my wife uh, that I've been with for 20 years. And mm-hmm. um, then I got released to serve time at a men's home, but still as an inmate of the state um, which makes it really weird because if you walk off the property and don't come back, you're considered an escaped felon and you get 15 years. So all this stuff for a first time drug offender, man, it's really, it's, it's, it's messed up what the criminal oh, system oh my thinks gosh. is helping, um, people. And, and I, and I'm someone that had resources. There's thousands and millions of people that have no resources, that have no money, that can't fight mm-hmm. this help but um yeah that's I'm, I'm trying to think through like you haven't even asked me that question but like that's just that's my no, music no i'm curious but n- i mean yeah i mean uh, obviously it's part of your story right i mean yeah. to be in that band and then like so did you leave when when uh rabina signed to capital were you or I was were you in that conversation no okay. I, was, I was i was in all that man we were courted that was a crazy period because Back in the 90s, they were throwing money at young bands. And so right. we were getting flown all over the country, like getting put up in the nicest hotels, buy whatever you want. What do y'all need? Like, it, it's nuts what labels used to do. And I don't know what major labels do anymore because I don't. They look on your Spotify. <laughs> they, look, they, check, yeah, they look to see how many streams they already have. They um, check your TikTok to make sure you have enough followers for them to. <laughs> and they would, would be very sad with mine. It would be. Oh, 60 followers here we go um i had tiktok years ago and stopped using it and uh was it musically funny. was it musically i tried musically and then That's bailed funny. and then did tiktok and bailed because for years i've just been terrible at social media man i've embraced it a lot more since my f- wife and i opened a shop but um yeah i was i was in verbena when we were doing all the negotiating with major labels i didn't leave until the first official album for capital was about to be recorded and we we were we were young we didn't see eye to eye on things um there was a lot of like drug use um everybody was doing their own different version of of some type of drugs and Mm -hmm. um i just had a kid and i didn't I wasn't willing to stick around, man. I walked away from everything. I just, mm-hmm. you know, for better or worse, I, I, I said, I told our lawyer, I told our A&R guy, I was like, man, I'm, I'm out. I'm not gonna, I just, I can't do this right now. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, Bondi and I did solo shows together when we both first, first put out our solo records. Mm-hmm. Um, cause there was a hot minute where we were both on the same little indie label. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, you know, that's why I say like everything led to the next thing. Verbena led to me, you know, starting this solo project cut grass that I did all these amazing recordings with, with people from like the Dexatines and drive by truckers and 
palace brothers and um i you know i got to do a lot of cool stuff and then my but my full like main solo career really started while i was locked up i mean oh I've, I've, I've never stopped writing songs you know i got lost mm-hmm. for a while and didn't release stuff but i it started when i released my solo career really started when i released etowa in 2006 um and that's the name of that record that i wrote up there okay wow 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 so you once that all happens like i mean obviously okay you you don't know what they they told you you're facing what 10 years you said five to ten years Mm -hmm. i mean at that point it's got to be like panic obviously and like how am i going to deal with this and then you go in and it's do you immediately like think okay well i have a lot of time in my hands i'm gonna start writing a record (laughs) and do you have a guitar in there like what what does that look like first no yeah at first, like I, so the way it went down, like I was in the drug court system. It became increasingly difficult for me to keep up with all the requirements. You have to pay for all your drug tests. You have to pay court fees. You have to pay legal fees. I'm paying child support. I'm paying insurance. I'm trying mm-hmm. to like, it's all this different stuff that starts compounding. Of course. And yeah. That, the funny thing is I really didn't start doing a lot. Like my, my drug back then was like, I really got into to cocaine because it gives you okay. this super false sense of importance and, and feeling good and numbing. Sure. Uh, yeah. Stuff. At first I was just a bored brat that was partying and thought I needed to live like Keith Richards. And I was dating this rock star girl. And that was just sort of my state of mind. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was so far whacked out that I even wouldn't like, I thought the recording sessions would sound better if I didn't wash my hair. <laughs> like, like really weird uh, OCD stuff, you know, because yeah. I wanted the records to sound dirty and gritty. Uh, I love, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> wow. So uh, well, I mean, I, now I'm like, also, give me a hot shower before I record. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I also struggle with addiction. I've been in recovery for a, a while. So it's like hearing you say these things, it's like, I just see myself, but obviously not on the a level of like having, you know, the rock star fame, but just being like the delusion of like, yeah, I, I, I just hear a lot of myself and in, in it. Yeah. You know what it does. I mean, it just gets feeds you lies of stuff, but mm-hmm. so I forgot where we were even going with this, but, um, oh, just so your songwriting, once oh, the you got writing, in there. The, the writing, like when I got in there, I was, I was in the court system for like two years before I finally went and turned myself in. I got kicked out of drug court, right? Mm-hmm. Because of a failed drug test or something, this, that, and the other. And then I just hid. I was hiding in a recording studio that was in a basement of a house. Um, and eventually I got so tired. I One day I just went and turned myself into the judge. I drove up to Etowah County. I'm in this suit thinking I would look more innocent if I was in a suit, but I weighed 115 pounds and looked horrible. I looked like walking mm-hmm. death. And the judge was like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do with you, but I'm sending you to the county detention and you know, we'll make a ruling on it. And they brought out, they handcuffed me, they shackled my legs, my arms. First time drug offense for an empty baggie of cocaine. And then I am um, taken down Wait, there. That's, that's the, oh my gosh. Processed, put in a cell with a man that was waiting a waiting trial for m- multiple murders um 
I'm in the maximum security unit at the Etowah County Detention Center, where sometimes you're only out of yourself for maybe an hour a day. There's no daylight. You do not go outside. You do not see sunshine except through little cracked windows. So I was terrified at first, man. I, I didn't know what I was going to do to survive. And I had the fear that I would have to do things to survive that would then get me actual really serious charges and keep me locked up. That's what a lot of guys get caught up in the system. That's why the 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 criminal justice system is just so out of whack in this country. Um, well, yeah, because I, well, I was it's interesting because I, I skateboarded growing up and I just read an article with a guy that we used to skate with who he became a pro at one point at a really young age. And like, he had the story of going into the system as well. And kind of, uh, I watched an interview with him that was really recent because he started this program in San Diego for uh, people in recovery and getting them out, off the streets and into skateboarding essentially is what he's doing. Oh, cool. And so he had, he had an interview and I, I was like, Oh, that's cool. Like I saw somebody posted it up on Facebook and I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. I remember him. I know, I know him. So I clicked in and watched it. And he, he had the similar story where it's like you're kind of put in this system where it's like you're told to do something. And if you don't do it, like wh who's going to protect you within the system? But then if you do it, you're also going to be stuck in this forever. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of a yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even know how to handle that. I have a relative that at very young age, he got caught up in the court system. And he was an, he's still an amazing human. He's just lost now mm -hmm. with through addiction, but man, he wasn't bad until he got put in the court system and then it got really bad. And what mm -hmm. he needed was help dealing with all his childhood trauma. He didn't need, they all, a lot of it just creates more trauma that creates more problems that then keeps you in a cycle and a revolving door of the criminal justice system in America. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really the opposite. I know people, a lot of people have good intentions of we are here to help, but when you have for-profit prisons, right, where people are making money off the labor and other systems like that, indentured servitude, especially with minorities and poor people that are the majority of those locked up, it's a mess and mm -hmm. just continuous to this cycle. But I, like after I was, I was loopy. I was delirious when I got locked up. Um, I think I had to sober up in my cell and didn't know what was going to happen. And once I was given paper and pencil to be able to write letters, I started writing to my girlfriend, who is now my wife. And then I would write, I was like, I have song because I always, I've always written songs. I've, I've written songs in my dreams and woken up and write them down. I hear melodies and know the chords I need to play. Like one time I wrote a song called My Rolling Hill, which I've never released. I should probably record it, but I was in... San Francisco is after I left Verbena and I needed to just get away from Birmingham. And so mm -hmm. I went and stayed out in San Francisco for quite a while. And I went to a party out in Oakland at this, um, this punk rock house, these punk bands that I used to book when I was a teenager in Birmingham. Um, Cause I used to do that before I played music, I promoted punk rock shows. Oh, wow. That's like cool. I, I would book neurosis, Christ on a crutch, like all sorts of stuff. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, and I, but I went to this house and I was like, man, I, I've got this song. I need a guitar. I need, I, I, I hear this melody. I need to write it down. And I did that. And so that's what it was like when I was in Etowah County, I would hear melodies. I would visualize the chords. I think would go to it. And I'd write it in a letter to my wife. Um, Whoa. So she has like the letter where I wrote the last song on the record. Etowah is called don't go back to Etowah. And it's don't go back to Etowah. There's too many bricks on too many walls. That's the chorus. And the verse was like, I lost my life in a cold stone cell. 
Um, I made my bed and I made my hell. And, but I, I knew it. And then, so that's where it first started. And then once I got released to this men's home, um, there you, you have to go through these, like these programs of conquering chemical dependency. And then you're supposed to get a job for your work release side of things. Cause I was serving time, but at a men's home after I was released from the detention center. Um, and sure. It's like a sober living type place ish yeah, or maybe even worse. Ish, yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's, I mean, it's a full treatment facility, but you're on a property. Everybody's it's like, like all these trailers and you're living with all these guys and you go through these classes. Um, and you know, you have to go to church and you have to do this and you have to do that. But when it came to the work side, they bring in a job placement and they're like, what do you, what have you done? Like, what's your work been? And I was like, well, I've, at that point, I was like, I've been a chef and a professional musician. And you're in Etowah County, Alabama. They're like, well, you can't get a job being a chef here and because you're not allowed to work around alcohol. Um, oh, and, okay. And then there's no professional musician jobs in Etowah County. So I, the craziest part about that time was, so they then, cre- they asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I wanted to write a new record. So they created a job where I would drive guys to work and everybody had to pay me because they were outsourcing it because you couldn't have a car there. Mm-hmm. Right. So I became the driver for the rehab and oh, I got okay. paid every week. So I would drive guys to their factory jobs, their construction jobs. It got to where I started taking guys to court. I would drive the cook to the grocery store to buy all the food for the compound. And then during the day, I would just write songs. There was an old guitar in the chapel that was built in the 1800s. And I would go in there and write and try and write songs every day. I would just play, 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 write, write, write. And then when I got my first overnight leave, I came home. I had 24 hours. I came home and I went straight to my friend's recording studio. And I don't even think we slept. And I started recording the record. And there's like one song on the record called Golden Sun. This is on the Etowah record. Uh-huh. And the way that is on that album is the way we recorded it that night when I came home from Etowah County. And so Whoa. that album was made in my friend's parents' garage over weekend leaves when I was a state inmate. I would do a little bit every time I got to come home, I would just go to the studio, go to the studio, go to the studio. And then once I was released from the program, I had somebody that put a friend that let me live in his townhouse in Wyoming. And I went out there for a few months and just wrote songs every day, just worked on lyrics, wrote lyrics. And eventually was like, all right, I got to go back to Alabama. That's where the studio is. Cause there was nowhere to record in Wyoming at the time. Now Kanye's been out there. There's like all sorts of recording studios in Teton County, but, uh, Oh really? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. Kanye has a studio Kanye made a record. He made a record. I don't know if he has a studio, but he, did a recording he was recording out in jackson hole for a while this was years ago um but yeah man and then it's just kind of been off to the races you know that was my Mm -hmm. first record and then i did these two lo-fi records like just my guitar and a cassette four track it was like what i had it's what i could afford Mm -hmm. i did those and released those and then i had all these my problem for a while was I was constantly starting new projects because I write a lot of music. So I would come up with a new band name constantly mm-hmm. and eventually connected up with my buddy, Jeffrey Kane and his brother-in-law and this guy Armand. And they're like, man, we want to help you make records, but you, you need to just stick by your name and quit changing it all the time. 
Um, so that's when I made my last record, Rabbit Runs a Destiny. Mm-hmm. And that really was like a foundation that led to this new album, The Social Animals. Okay. Okay. And I know- go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, because I recorded that record, Rabbit Runs a Destiny, with my buddy Armand at like an old house, an old apartment. And then my friend Jeffrey Kane, who was in Remy Zero, and he's in this band, The Church, that was a big band in the 80s. Oh, I remember The band. Church. Yeah. yeah. Jeffrey's in The Church now. So Jeffrey started a label called Communicating Vessels. He put out my last record. And then that's where I started doing demos. That's where I did all the demos for this new album, The Social Animals. Wow. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Like the journey, like it's just one step is leading to the next. Yeah. No. Yeah. Cause it's, yeah, you had the, well, what year did you put out the first record then? I don't 2006. Okay. So 2006. And then you had some other projects and things going on. And then you ended up putting the, the next record out. What 20, you said 2015, 2016. No, I'd, so I did, at all, 2006, I did yeah. two acoustic records, one in 2000. Oh, yeah, the, lo- the one, lo-fi ones, right? With yeah, the, the four it, track. Yeah, I did It Sings Because It Has a Song in 2008. I did Rugged and Fancy, either 2009 or 2010. Then I did Rabbit Runs a Destiny in 2013. Oh, okay. So that was, and then your, your, your wife ended up getting sick, and I don't know, really want to go there with it, but, but that's... Then no, you we, that's has, part oh, of it, man. Like, oh, okay, we, cool, you know, okay. Like we, yeah, we can talk about that. I, 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 we talk about it all the time. We try to make sure that we share it from a way that lets people know, like, this is our journey. We are not victims. Like, don't like be like, oh, poor us. We went through these struggles. It's like, that is just part of life. And we've learned from all of it. And we've learned to work on our, on ourselves as humans and as creatives and as artists and as parents. Um, but yeah, so 2013, I put out my last record and found out we were having a baby. We didn't think we could have a baby. So we were excited. Yeah. She had, she had a super difficult pregnancy. Uh-huh. Um, that's where I learned that all men are complete wimps and cannot hold a candle to women. <laughs> like right. at all. Yeah. And I started writing songs during that time. Um, and then as soon as my son was born, my wife had a bacterial infection mm-hmm. from her C-section. And then I, all I could do is write. I'd done a song for a TV commercial. We were really fortunate that we had that to be our lifeline because I couldn't work. She couldn't work. We were Mm -hmm. taking care of our kid, taking care of her, getting her healthy because we didn't want to do it through a bunch of pharmaceuticals and surgeries. We wanted to heal her naturally and restore her. And so I was just writing songs every day in the middle of the night, in the early in the morning with my son by my side, with my wife holding my son, just like in the kitchen. Like I have voice memos of 140. So I don't even remember the count, but it's a lot. Wow. I've listened yeah. back through some, some of them are total trash. Uh, some <laughs> See, I was under the impression that Rabbit Runs of Destiny was out after that whole thing had happened, but it sounds like you put that record out and then right after that was when kind of you found out your <laughs> wife was pregnant and then yeah. this all happens. It, it, it all was sort of simultaneous. We, I worked for a couple of years on that Rabbit record. Um, it's a bunch of Nashville musicians all over that Rabbit record. is like Kyle Ryan and um, Adam Popic, who's now out in LA and, um, Eric Massey, he's got a recording studio. Kyle was, uh, Casey Musgraves band leader for a long time. Eric wow. Massey 
done tons of amazing records. Um, and then the, all my string section, Eleanor Dinnig, Larissa Maestro, Kristen Weber, like all, the Murray, Johnny Murray, like that played with Anderson East, like, uh, yeah, a whole lot of Nashville on that last record. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, all, all of it happened at the same time. And, and I never stop writing songs. Even when a record is out, I just try to constantly write. Um, and so as, as I started demoing for the social animals, I tracked down John and yellow who produced the record. And I'd done work with John back in the nineties with Verbena. We did pre-production for a record. Mm -hmm. And that's when I left Verbena, they fired him. And, um, yeah, I was just like, Hey man, I'm, you know, let's, I'd love to reconnect. And I went and had a coffee with him in New Jersey. Cause I happened to be up there doing some shows and I started sending him demos and we just, man, we emailed back and forth for a year. Um, and figuring out who the band was going to be. He sent the songs to Steve Shelley from Sonic Youth and Steve offered their studio in New Jersey um so rather than trying to fly everybody to Bir Birmingham and house everybody because we're trying to figure out how do we do this on a budget and get the album we want especially and what during a pandemic was that happening this was yeah. no this was oh, okay yeah this was 2016 okay. so in 2015, oh, okay. 2015 New Year's Eve my wife and I sat down and started this new uh thing we do where we write out our intentions for the year what do we want to see what do we how do we visualize our life what do we want to see happen and at the end of the night, that was like one of the most transformative New Year's Eves of my life, because at the end of the night, I had two things I wanted to do. And that was learn how to open a shop like we have. We have a boutique and brand mm -hmm. called Club Duquette. I wanted to learn how to write a business plan to open a shop. And I wanted to make a record with John and Yellow. And nine months later, we opened the doors to our shop. And the next day I flew to New Jersey and started the record with John and Yellow. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. What, so, what a cool thing too. I, I like that a lot to write down your, your dreams or goals for the year. And it wasn't even like in, and everybody is going to do it their own way. And for us, we like, it was about creating a more intentional life. Mm -hmm. How do we want to design our life to live it? And since then we've even dialed more into it, like getting into human design and learning about how we function best, doing a program called to be magnetic where we're, like going in and healing like childhood traumas and things that cause like limiting beliefs, self-doubt, like blocks from being creative and, and going all in on, on what you do. Um, so like we, I've, that's what I've been doing a ton of during the pandemic. Um, but the record started 2016. We did a week at Sonic Youth Studio and I'd done so much pre-production work. I, I, that's probably the most pre-production I've ever done, like demoing almost every single song, whether it's on the phone, on my iPad, or in a studio, and sending it to John, and knowing what we were going to go for sonically before we even stepped foot in the studio. Mm -hmm. So that when I had hired musicians, hired producer, we were there and focused and on it. And there were no egos when we made this record. Everyone was like, what is working best for the song? probably one of the easiest recording sessions I've ever done. We did a week at Sonic Youth doing rhythm tracks, some in vocals, some scratch. I came to Birmingham, back to Birmingham. John came down that November. We did all the overdebs at Communicating Vessels with a bunch of Birmingham friends and musicians all playing on it. 
Um, and then January of 2017, I went to New Jersey. We mixed it in a week. Then the next month it got mastered and then it was done. So that's 2017. We're in what? 2022. Yeah. So 2017. I started working on album artwork and okay. deciding, changing the name of the album from the social animals to Holy child to something else to back to the social animals changing the artwork from photographs to things I was mocking up to a painting from a friend, Marilee Chalice, that was very psychedelic and very mystical and all these elements that connect to the record. Um, but then I started getting these ideas because I was listened to so much jazz music and I'm really inspired visually. I write a lot of songs off of images that I see paintings, mm -hmm. photographs, memories, and there's a photographer that I love, Miller Mobley, who did the photos for my album, the press photos, the cover. And I reached out to Miller. Um, he, I mean, he does insane portraits. He did, he collaborated with Meek Mill on this whole album art wow. that I thought was really inspiring. So I started, I met with Miller and he was like, man, send me ideas. And so we started, I started sending Miller mood boards, um, a collaborator I'd worked with, have worked with for years on all my merchandise and with club Duquette was my best friend, Matt Lane Harris. He connected me to a young designer, Paul Prudhomme. Like things took a lot of time. We had a direction we were going in 2019. Like I'd sent the record to single lock. They asked if I would, was willing to wait to release it. Cause they had a lot going on. Mm -hmm. And at this point I was like, yeah, what's another year. Right. No pandemic was coming. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, we reissued Etowah on Single Lock in 2019 with the plans of releasing um, the social animals in 2020. And then the pandemic hit and we stopped. And, um, yeah, we took our time, like, dialing in the packaging, the, the design, and just being patient, man, and, and, and waiting until we were like, all right, we can't wait any longer. Let's do this. And so now the album's out. <laughs> yeah and what it just came out like last 10 week, days ago week. yeah last yeah it was last week last seven days seven days ago wow 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 that's amazing i mean how does it feel like you had you had been sitting on it essentially for what five years it sounds like four or five it, years before yeah, it, to not release a record for nine years is crazy um to sit on one for five years is really challenging <laughs> yeah. and forces you to go through a lot of growth and trust in the universe. Mm -hmm. And, but I honestly don't think I was ready to release this record when the record was done. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. It does make sense. Like deep inside. And I get all woo woo and all sorts of these interviews and conversations, but it's who I am. And I, you know, for me, Sometimes rock and roll is just rock and roll. But for me, like music is something much deeper. It always has. It's been a guide to my life. It's, mm -hmm. it's healed me when I've been sad. It's made me joy, more joyous than I've ever felt in my life. It's taking me around the globe. It has brought me friendships that will never go away. So I can look back now to where I was when the record was finished and even look back to pre-pandemic and know in my it, deep in my heart and subconscious that I was not ready 
to release an album and trust the universe to do what we're doing with it, you know, and, and to have the moments and connections with people that I hope to get with it. That's incredible. That's what, it, but it sounds like you write a lot. Like oh, I've, for man, five, the five, pandemic, I've, I've been writing nonstop. Like, yeah. And it's like, and if you look at five years that you've been holding the record, you probably have a whole ton of material and what, and with that, it's like, is it hard to go, you know, yeah, this record's amazing. I love what I did, but you should wait till you hear, you know what I like <laughs> as the musicians are, it's moving forward. It's like, you wait till you hear this. And like, it, what, what's, it's hard to talk about, you know, the future, I guess, since the record just came out a week right. ago, but I would imagine that's kind of probably something that's in your head a bit. I mean, the thing that's in my head is I need to pause writing and take the time to sift through songs very intentionally. And because this is what I did for the social animals was I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and then it got to where, okay, one day I sat down and I would listen through and I created folders on my computer. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I want to make this electric, like rock and roll album with John and yellow and songs that I felt, I felt would fit in that category. I put in that folder and then others I'm like, Oh, this could be a, a way more sparse record. I do at my house or with my friend Jeffrey or some, or something that's over here. And then there's just miscellaneous ideas, riffs, one verse something whatever it may be so now yeah I, this record is just out and i'm like i need to demo the next one like right. i'm ready <laughs> and I, I try to remain very present in this record because we're just getting started yeah for artists is especially when you've waited this long is like release day comes and then you're like now what right, right? You, it's, you it's out of the world here we go but it's really just the beginning you know, cause <laughs> yeah. some people so long to hear a record or to connect with a record that it's not, you know, the old way of, of a lot of music industry is like they do all the work building up to it. And then three weeks after it's out, it's like, all right, well, we did our thing. Let's move on to the next. Yeah. Or you do a tour or something like that. And then you're back and it's like, OK, now what? Now what? we got to keep going forward. We got to keep moving forward. Yeah, it's a it's a challenge. So I'm trying to remain really present with this record, The Social Animals, because I'm just now getting back to playing shows. Mm -hmm. we're, we're just getting started doing with what we want to do with it. Um, because, I mean, I also have Club Duquette. My wife is a full-time amazing artist, painter. And um, we just, everything we do is kind of all intertwined together. And so trying to do shows where we show up and it's displaying her art. And I, I do a set and we have a little mini club duquette set up. It's, it's, you know, we do things a little bit differently, but at the same time, I don't want it to be nine years before my next record comes out. So I, I need to, and when I say stop writing, I, I've had this problem during the pandemic where I just wanted to keep writing ideas. So if I grab the guitar, generally I'm going to write something. Instead of I need to set, I need to like have my, you know, Logic Pro set up ready and start coming through the songs and doing demos at home. Like you can do both. You can be present and be promoting your record, but in the wee hours of the night or on a, a day when I can be here in the studio space, starting to come through um, and do that. You have to show up like the, like 
and it's different for everybody. No judgments on how people write, but the more you show up for your art, the more your art is going to show up for you, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's not going to be easy every day. It's not going to just fall out of the sky. Sometimes it does. Sometimes like, you know, some people's greatest songs were written in just a matter of minutes um, because they weren't thinking about it. That's Mm -hmm. what I got out of their, their way, out of their ego, out of their head. But um, I, I think, yeah, it's, it's, I'm ready to, to show up and, and demo the next record and, and get it recorded. You know, mm-hmm. that's amazing. And you, you talked to God. No, go ahead. No, no, no. And I have no idea what I was going to say, man. Oh, I'll, okay. I'll, over, I'll over talk you. I'm trying to get better about interrupting. No, 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 no. It's all about you. Not me. No one cares what I have to say. I was just curious to know like your voice uh, matters, Adam. (laughs) I appreciate that. Well, it sounds like you're doing some shows with like hand in hand with, with the company, right? With club Duquette, like your wife will do her art show and you're playing what a set or something like that. Is that what's kind of going on? Yeah. So like we're doing like right after, like I'm about to go to South by Southwest. And then after that, we're doing a residency up in North Carolina at this place, the Highlander mountain house um, that my dear friend and amazing songwriter and human Shelly Colvin, uh, Nashville um, musician, uh, set us up with where Morgan will show her art for the week. Mm-hmm. Um, because my music merch is Club Duquette merch. Mm-hmm. We'll have like my merch table is always just a little mini Club Duquette. So that'll be set up and then I'll do a show and it'll just be me solo. Um, and then I'm also working on doing these other events at gallery spaces and boutiques where it's a duo just me and a guitar player and then some of those things will work where my wife's art could potentially be there um but then i'm also working on you know and booking full band shows um europe u.s i'm i'm game to go wherever um depending upon the conflicts in the world and the craziness that's that's freaking happening mm-hmm. um but yeah we you know we just really try to have not try we have done it's not always easy i'm still learning every freaking day how to run a the the shop and 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 run a better business um but it's all we just wanted to be able to live a very creative life on our terms our way without having to work for somebody else because we're both very strong-willed and uh not good with authority (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, that's amazing. Congratulations on everything. Um, and Thank I really you, appreciate, man. yeah, I really appreciate you doing this interview Duquette. This has been so awesome. And yeah, and we went on, a, we went on a deep dive, man. I like we it. We did. And I was like, so fast. It was such a fascinating story. And, um, again, I really, really appreciate it. I do have one more question. I want to know if you have I, any advice for aspiring artists. Don't give up. Don't believe naysayers. Like, put in the work, show up, like believe in yourself. It's, man, so many people, artists are told when you're young, like have plan B because you're not going to make money making art and not everybody will make money making art, but it drives me crazy when people are still like, if you think that negative and speak that negative, why the hell would you succeed? And why the hell would, how are you going to make it? You have to believe it. You have to, like put on your blinders, put on your hearing protection and, and, and block the people out, you know, like, yeah, you may have to work another job for a while. Yeah. You may have to do this, but man, life is short and long. 
short meaning you get one life, you get to do this one time. So why be miserable, right? Like if you want to make art, make art, no matter what, make freaking art. You know, I don't mean no matter what, like in a bad way, but show up every day. I mean, my wife goes into the studio every day and paints, even when it is crazy difficult. I try to grab my guitar every single day or do something creatively. Um, yeah, that advice is believe in yourself, show up, be kind, don't do hard drugs. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, yeah, man, just be a, be a good human and show up for yourself and others. You'll be all right. All right.